I keep the ends out for the tie that binds Because you're mine I walk the line Last week we started our series, Walk the Line, and it's based on Ephesians 4 uh, through 6. And we, <clears throat> we started Ephesians with, with identity. And the, 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 the key verse to this series, Walk the Line, is this, Ephesians 4, 1. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And what this series is all about is walking the journey of identity. And Paul tells us to walk out our calling. And what is our calling? Our calling is to be a saint. We have a key question to this series. What would saints do? What would a saint do? In my situation, given my decision, given my ways that I could go, what would a saint do? And not in the big stuff. I mean, yes, in the big stuff, but but not really what we're talking about. We're not really talking about the big stuff. We're talking about the day-to-day stuff. The stuff that we face every day. Not the, what college should I go to, or what job should I take, or who should I date, or who should I marry, or what dog should I buy. You know, whatever the big stuff is for you. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the day-to-day stuff. What would a saint do in the day-to-day stuff? Walking the line of our identity. And last week we took a look at unity. That we walk the line of our identity through Unity, being unified with each other, coming together and bonding together. And unity without a mission is just an ice cream social or a potluck. But fellowship is unity around a mission. But see what Paul still is doing here. The identity series was all about our inside. It's about the identity that we're supposed to have. But where does unity start? It starts in our mind and our heart, right? We have to decide and desire to be unified. And then from there, we have to act like we want to be unified. But unity starts inside of us. If we want to be unified, we have to decide to be unified. And then we have to have a desire to be unified. Then we start walking in unity. So Paul, even though we're switching over to walk the line, and what does this look like practically in our life to have the identity of Christ and the identity of a saint, he is still working on the inside. And this is important. This is vital in the topic that we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be taking a look at the diversity. Because when we look at unity and we look around, we go, well, but we're not all the same. Unity and uniformity are two different concepts. Uniformity says that we're all exactly the same. And I know that, you know, there's a certain aspect that we look around right now and we go, yeah, there's a certain aspect of us that are all the same, but still, we're all different as well. We have different genders. We have different builds have different hair, styles, and amounts, right? But we all have also different personalities. We have different personalities. 
our operating system. They're all different. What makes us tick, the decisions and how we come at decisions and how we look at life, they're all different. We have different shades of that. And you know what? It's hardwired into your DNA. You can't really control that. We're all diverse. And the diversity in the Bible is more than ethnicity. As we read through the New Testament, we see that really the New Testament really doesn't focus on ethnic diversity. Now the church was enormously diverse, ethnically, but they don't focus on that. Even in Ephesians 1-3, through 3, where Paul focuses on Jews and Gentiles, which basically is an ethnicity, there's ethnicity behind it, what he's saying is, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, you have one identity. And now as we switch and we go to Ephesians 4, and we're taking a look at how this fleshes itself out, Paul never brings up Jew-Gentile again. He doesn't. Now in a couple of weeks he'll, he'll reference Gentiles, but it's, a, it's a, in a whole different context. Basically what he's saying is, last week, one, last week was brought to you by the letter U and the number one. Unity and one body. One, 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 one. This week, brought to you by the letter D and the number five. And we'll get there. But what does it look like to be unified but diverse. Unified, but, but diverse. I want to read the entirety of the, the, the passage that we're going to look at today, and then I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take it out of order uh, for a reason that I'll, I'll explain. But we're going to be in Ephesians 4, starting verse 7. You can open up a Bible, open up your smartphone, get your tablet out, turn on your Bible, uh, find the Version app. You can follow along on the screen. But we're going to read it all in one chunk, and then we're going to break it apart after that. 4-7. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. All right? That however word, it's a transition, right? It's a transition word. He's talking about one, 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 one. We're unified, we're unified, we're unified. However, a little bit of a thought change. However, he, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that he said he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our, to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibilities equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. We're going to take a look at Ephesians 4, 8 through 10 first. What Paul is doing throughout all Ephesians is he keeps circling. He keeps circling. He keeps circling back to a core concept that we can never forget. And what he is circling back to is that we are all reclaimed. We're all reclaimed. See, we were all on the scrap heap. We were all thrown aside. We were all dead. Sin doesn't make us bad. Sin makes us dead. It's a big difference. 
Bad people are still living. Dead people are, well, dead. It's a big difference. Just like a scrap heap, junkyard. Jesus reclaimed us. Reclaimed us. He rescued us from the scrap heap. And Ephesians 4, 8 through 10 is circling back again to this idea of reclamation or rescue. See, this is the most confusing part of the passage. I've read Ephesians probably over a hundred times. And it was sitting down and studying for this sermon that this, these three verses, 8, 9, and 10, actually made sense. This was always... To this passage, this is always the, oh, that's nice part of the passage. Right? You've, you've read those passages. I know it's the Bible. I know it has something to do with my life. But, oh, that's nice because I don't know what to do with it. And so, sitting down and, and studying and seeing and studying the Ephesians all in its entirety throughout these two series been able to see, I think, what's going on here. So let's take a look at it again. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to people. All right, so we're talking about the ascension of Christ back to heaven, because Paul then goes on to say, notice that he said he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world, and the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens, so he might fill the universe with himself. That's the, that's the whole part. You're like, okay, ascended, ascended. Now he went up and went down and went Now where is he? Now we're talking about ascension, right? We're talking about ascension. Let's, let's, let's narrow it down, get it simple. He's talking about ascension. Now, one of the keys, last week we talked about a key of Bible study of when we're sitting down and reading the Bible, we're looking for the themes that repeat. Another key of Bible study is let Scripture interpret Scripture. So we take a verse and we don't quite understand it. We try and think into our minds of the Scriptures that we know of, okay, does this verse, is there somewhere else that there's a similar theme? We too, we're looking for repeating themes. And the best place to start to let Scripture interpret Scripture is the same book in which we're dealing with. So here we're in Ephesians. So let's let Ephesians help us interpret this passage. So we're talking about Christ's ascension. Is there anywhere else in Ephesians that it talks about Christ's ascension? Yes, it does. Latter part, Ephesians 1, where Paul is talking about the power that is given to us by God. And Paul says this is the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead and ascended him to the heavens. Okay? So Paul here is talking about the ascension of Christ, and he's already been talking about it, that, that the power that God used to ascend Christ is the same power that is offered to us. But that's not the only place that he talks about ascension, is it? As we turn the page into Ephesians 2, Paul talks about how dead we are. But, God is so rich in mercy that he resurrected us or rescued us off the scrap heap. And what did he do? He ascended us with him to seat us in heaven as well. So Ephesians 2 actually talks about the fact that God ascends us with Christ as well. So let's read this again. 
This is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. What Paul is doing is he's circling back to the same idea that not only is Christ ascended to heaven, but we are ascended with him to heaven. And here, what he talks about, he uses the prisoner of war metaphor. He goes, he has led captives. We were all prisoners of war, prisoners of sin, prisoners of Satan, and he freed us, and he led us up back into heaven. He ascended us back up with him, Ephesians 2. In our metaphor of using the journey metaphor and car metaphor, he took us from the scrap heap and rebuilt us and allowed us, rebuilt us in such a way that we're now in the winner's circle. He took us off the scrap heap. He rescued us off the scrap heap. He rebuilt us. And now we're in the winner's circle. I mean, there's no bigger winner's circle than heaven, right? Nothing better than that. It's the biggest winner's circle there is. And so what was once confusing is a beautiful truth. That he he reclaimed us, he rescued us, he rebuilt us. So we can have a purpose. And that purpose lands us right in the smack dab middle of the best winner's circle that there ever was. Heaven. And he rebuilt us by giving us gifts. He didn't rebuild us just to stand us off in a corner and go, look at him. Look at her. Just look at him. Just look at him. No, he rebuilt us in such a way to give us gifts so that we actually have a purpose, that we actually get to do something, that we now go back and rescue and rebuild. The last part, so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Well, Paul, there's two aspects of, 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 of the fact that Jesus is filling the entire universe with himself. First of all, talking about the theological word transcendence, that God is everywhere. That God, no matter where we go, God is. We can be here, we can be in Arkansas, we can be in New York, we can be in China, we can be in uh, Timbuktu. And God's there. His general transcendence. That God is everywhere. But also the specific aspect that that Christ is now filling the universe, everything everywhere with himself in that his body, he fills his body with himself. So we as Believers, as saints, as faithful followers who have His Spirit, who is filled with Christ through the Spirit, we now go out and, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of the entire world that by our presence, because we have the Spirit in us, by our presence, we go out and we are the hands and feet of Christ to go fill the universe with Christ. We are here We are given gifts. We are rebuilt in order to rescue and rebuild as well. So Ephesians 4, 7. Paul says, however, he's given each one of us a special gift to the generosity of Christ. He repurposes us. 
He gives us a new purpose. We're not using our gifts for ourselves. We're not giving, get, uh, using you know, what our personalities, everything that God's given us intrinsically. We're not using that for ourselves. He's given us a new purpose. He's given us gifts in order to serve people with. And so we go out and we serve people with our gifts that God has given. And this is a vital, important concept that we get here. We have to get this because many of you probably have heard this passage preached. But when we've heard this passage preached... We've heard it preached to set up two different classes of people. The people who equip and the people who sit there and let them equip us. Basically the people we pay in order to equip people and the people who are being equipped. However, let's read this in its entirety. Let's get it out of its con- inside of its context, not out of its context. Ephesians 4, 7. He has given who? Each one. Each one. Every one. A gift. How many? Everyone. Special people? Well, you could say that. Saints. But anybody that's a saint. People who are paid by the church just have a gift? No. Everyone. Each one. See, Ephesians 4, 8 through 10 is parenthetical. If Paul was writing in America today, he'd put it in parentheses with the BTW in front of it. Hmm? Oh, and by the way, this is how we get our gifts. Christ descended, he ascended, he led us into heaven, he captivated, he, 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 he freed us, he reclaimed us, he rescued us, and he gave us gifts. By the way, he, just, he gave us gifts, this is how he did it. So Ephesians 4, 7 actually is supposed to run into Ephesians 4, 11. The rest of it's parenthetical. So, Ephesians 4, 7, 4, 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Okay. This is how it's supposed to read. Let's go 4, 7 to 4, 11. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Each one of us a special gift. Now, these are the gifts. These are the gifts Christ gave the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. Who has a gift? People we pay? Well, yes. People we don't pay? Yes. Everyone. Everyone has a gift. Now, if we compare this to other gift lists, there's two key, other key gift lists. 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. If you want to go home and read those, I would encourage you to. But if we read those and we compare the three lists, this list seems to be a little more definitive. He's given us these gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. But the other's gifts seems a little bit more, or other list seems a little bit more open-ended. They're just kind of listing some stuff off. 
and he includes more things. Here's what I think is going on with Paul. I think the Holy Spirit has given Paul an insight to insight, personality gifts. Because Ephesians is all internal. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, he's talking about external stuff there. So these are just operating system type of things. Things that we just normally go to. If you've ever taken things like disc tests, God gave Paul special insight 2,000 years before anybody else came up with it. That's pretty cool. Decent. That's a good day. And what would you do today? I figured out there's basic personality gifts. (laughs) We all have. (laughs) And in 2,000 years, they'll figure this out. (laughs) That's a good day. That's, that's, a, that's a plus. That's, that's a good resume builder. And we all have a matrix of these gifts. So what are these gifts? The apostle. The apostle. This guy, this gal, their key question is, how do I advance it? How do I push it forward? How do I move it forward? They're more organizational in thinking. How do I move this organization forward? They're the entrepreneurs. If if Paul used the term today, or if Paul was writing today, he'd probably say entrepreneur. Because in in that day, he used a a cultural term. See, now, today, we have 2,000 years that we've spiritualized all these terms. None of these terms were specifically spiritual or a Christian. The apostle was the helmsman. It was a, a, a sailing term. He's the helmsman. He's the guy that got up, looked out into the horizon, and said, we need to go that direction, and he got the ship to go in that direction. So when we see entrepreneurs, hard chargers, they move forward the organization. Some of the most famous ones today, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, right? the Kathy family with Chick-fil-A, Sam Walton with Walmart, All, the, all these guys, apostles, hard-charging, move forward the organization. They've probably been diagnosed with ADD at some point in time in their life. By the way, parenthetically, BTW, most of our ADD-diagnosed children are probably just entrepreneurs that our school system has no idea what to do with. Right? Well, they can't sit in a chair for eight hours. Well, duh. They're not going to be able to. They're going to be the ones that employ you in 20 years. Because they'll come up with some company and they'll make it big, earn a billion dollars, and employ the rest of you that don't know what to do with them right now. Right? I have a tendency to be a little apostolic, kind of, sort of, a lot. Like to move, can't sit still, can't do the same thing, just, just gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, gotta do something. I, in fact, on days that I have nothing to do, I get a little 
grumpy. Don't tell Nicole that. <laughs> Those of you that know, that's my wife. I get a little frustrated. Got to do something. Got to move. This is the apostle. And so the apostle, are they going to be a rescue person? Somebody that will go rescue? Or are they going to be somebody that rebuilds people? They're going to be a rescue person. They're going to move the organization forward so the organization can rescue as many people as possible. All right? So in our journey metaphor, in our driving metaphor, our, 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 our car metaphor, these are the race cars. High octane, can't slow them down. You better not slow them down. You're going to be in big trouble. But we've also got prophets. Prophets. Now this is the most spiritual term out of the five. But prophets aren't unique to just Christianity or Judaism. Prophets were in all religions. So what is a prophet? These are your compliant people. Their main question is, how do I obey it? How do I obey? What God has said, and so we obey. Enough said. These people, they, they, they're able to read the scriptures and be able to say, this is what you're supposed to do. Uh, this is why you're supposed to do it. This is the benefits that will come because you do it. And this is what will happen if you don't do it. Now, out in society, these are the people that, you know, your compliance officers. The people that you just love to have around. Because when they come around, you're like, oh, crud, I've done something wrong. Filled out the form wrong. (laughs) But these are also necessary in an organization. These are also necessary in the church. In fact, they drive the apostles a little nuts because the apostle just wants to go and the the prophet wants to uh, make rules around it. But if the apostle is smart, he knows that he's going to make a mess that needs to be cleaned up and be, be, be systemized. What's frustrating for me is that I'm high in this as well. So it's like I always feel like I'm in a conflict with myself. I'm always battling against myself. Move forward, stay put, move forward, stay put. And so a prophet in an organization is actually both a, re, a, a, a rescue and a rebuild. Whoever will listen to the obedience part of this, you know, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a God follower, this is, this is how you obey, this is what God says, this is how you obey, and this is what it means for your life, and this is what will happen if you do obey, this is what will happen if you don't. And then inside the church, the same exact thing. Whoever will listen, whoever will listen... I'll just let you know. This is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to obey. Whoever will listen. So they're, they're, they're actually both organizational and individual. They'll talk to the organization. They'll also talk to individuals. These guys, these guys are pretty uh, flexible. And gals. But we also have the evangelist. 
Oh, the, the, the prophet in our illustration is the guy that when you go to the driver's, get your driver's license and go on the test, the driving test, these are the guys that sit next to you. You know, 10 and 2, parallel park, make sure you're not turning north on Jefferson. Wait a minute, north on Jefferson. Jefferson is one way south. So, you know, those sorts of things. Now we have our evangelist. The core question of an evangelist is how do I share it? How do I share? What's, whatever's happening, what do, how do I share it? An evangelist is a cultural term. This wasn't spiritual at all. This is a good newser. This is, what, this is what evangelist means, good newser. And the good news that the culture used as an evangelist is somebody that, that, that when a, uh, a battle was won, somebody would always run back to the hometown to tell the good news of victory. So this was a good newser. This is where we get the concept of marathon. The dude ran 26.2 miles back to marathon to tell the news of a um, military victory. And then for some reason, we decided to make a, a running race. Really good idea. It's just brilliant. First guy died. I don't know why. Some, anyway. He's a good newser. How do I share it? Evangelist, is he rescuing or rebuilding? He's rescuing, right? Rescuing people off the scrap heap. Now, is he more corporate or individual? Generally Individual. These are the guys that when, when they come in and they do share corporately, they make us feel guilty because they always have a story. I walked into Walmart yesterday. I went up to the checker. I put my, I just needed, I was just there a few minutes. I just needed some bananas. I put the bananas down on the, on the conveyor belt. The checker looked at me. I said, how's your day? I said, if I were more blessed... I'd have to be in heaven. And she got down right on her knees and prayed the prayer because I said that. <laughs> and you're going, but that wasn't that hard. <laughs> so you go to Walmart. And you put down your bananas. And the checker asks, how are you? And you say, if I were more blessed, I'd have to be in heaven. And yours just looks at you like you're nuts. <laughs> Right? The evangelists, they just have this thing. They have this knack of being able to, to, to share and people just respond. And it makes the rest of us feel guilty that we don't have that same response. And these are our influencers. These are our uh, uh, gatherers. They, these are the ones like in culture, in society, they say, let's have a party and 200 people show up. I say, let's have a party, everybody goes away. I don't know, I don't get it. Partly because I'm... A, apostolic with prophet, which, it, you know, either one of them is kind of like hugging a porcupine. Both of them together is like, I don't know, hugging a porcupine laced with arsenic or something, you know? It just, it just doesn't work really well. I've, I've said this before, the, the more I try to gather, the more people try to go away. This is why I need evangelists with me. This is the, the whole idea of diversity inside of the body, that, that we need each other because we're not gifted or strongly gifted in all of these areas. Because prophets and apostles 
well, they'd need a crowd to be effective. Preaching to nobody is borderline psychotic. So evangelists are needed. The influencers and gatherers are needed. It's been pretty cool to see, uh, see Taylor actually come into this and find this gift and figure out that he's kind of gifted in this area and, and, and that God's created him that way. Do you know over 10% of our weekly average is directly due to Taylor? And not only that, Taylor's a grandpa. I really was hoping your parents would be here this morning to, to kind of give them that news that you're a grandpa. I was really hoping that they were going to be here. You know, you know what? He's a grandpa. Because he invited Nathan. And then Nathan invited Billy. Right? 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 Multiple generations of inviting. <laughs> See, the, the, these are the gatherers. They, they're responsible for, for bringing people together. Then we've got the pastors. Again, a cultural term. This is just meaning shepherd. The key question that a pastor asks is, how do I care for it? How do I care for it? Pastor's going to be more individual than corporate. How do I care for people as individuals? Oh, by the way, I forgot the metaphor for the evangelist. The evangelist is the ice cream truck. Just show up, ding, 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 ding. Right? Ice cream truck. Pastor, they care for people. They ask, how do I care for it? They, are they rescue or are they rebuild? They're rebuilt. They're rebuilt. Right? Apostles, evangelists, they rescue. They, they don't really care to rebuild people. They just want to rescue people. The pastor comes alongside and, hey, you have physical needs? I want to I help you. You have um, emotional needs? I want to help you. I'm going to help your needs. I'm going to help your needs. That's what a pastor's focused on. Now, here's where we get off in our culture, and where you've heard this preached and, and, and everything, that, that because the pastor is listed, we go, oh, a pastor, the guy we pay. Do you know the term more used for the title of leader in the church than pastor in the Bible? Elder. If we read through the New Testament, do word studies in the New Testament, elder is used for the title of leader in the church, not pastor. Pastor is used when it's talking about gifting. Like, where did we go wrong? I don't know, it was several hundred years ago. We're dealing with centuries of tradition. Then this is where we get this mixed up because of the word pastor, largely because of the word pastor. Paul is not talking about title. Paul is not talking about role or office. Paul is talking about gifting. So this person just has an internal gift to be able to care for people. And again, apostles and prophets, they, they need pastors because they usually have the gift of tearing people apart. And they need somebody to come up and clean up the mess that 
they've created. See, prophet's really good at making people cry. And pastor comes alongside and goes, it's okay. I know he's mean, but, you know, it's okay. Pastor, in our metaphor, is the school bus. Now, everybody's on here. I'm taking care of my children. I'm, I'm, I'm good because I'm taking care of my children. School bus, uh, that would, uh, I could not be a school bus driver. Drive me absolutely insane. Care for it. How do I care for it? Teacher. Teacher. How do I understand it? How do I understand it? The teacher. Now, again, this is personality gift, not necessarily talent that would be visual. All right? You can have the personality gift of teaching without the visible gift or visible talent of teaching. Okay? Just a, just a moment, we'll get there. Just a moment, we'll get there. How do I understand it? The teacher is asking, how do I understand it? So you're the kid that when the alarm clock broke, you didn't throw it out and get another alarm clock. The apostle did that. I, I have no time for you because you broke. I'm going to go buy another one. The teacher doesn't do that. The teacher... Last you heard, the alarm clock was broke. You went back into the room. And what is the alarm clock now? A million pieces. Because the teacher has to pull it apart to understand how it works. Got to understand it. Got to get it. Now, just because you have this insatiable desire to understand doesn't mean you can necessarily teach. We had those professors in college, right? We had those teachers. They understood it, but they didn't necessarily have the gift of teaching. That's, you know, your role is to write commentaries. Your role is to write encyclopedias. You know, we have the engineers. They can understand it, but they don't necessarily, they can't necessarily teach engineering. Or they shouldn't. They can just engineer and this is the, the, that's the metaphor, the, the, the engineer behind the car. They care about how to understand how the engine works. I could care less. All I want is results. I want action. Turn the key, motor runs. We're good. Turn the key, motor doesn't run. Take it to somebody that understands that because I, I, I don't want to know. The teacher works for understanding. They have this insatiable desire to understand how things run and how things tick. And this is a rebuild gift. You're rebuilding people's minds. Because when we're rescued off the scrap heap, where sin has tossed us aside, we need our minds to be rebuilt because we've had our minds focused in on sin and focused in on the way things should not be. And Christ wants you to see things, how things are supposed to be so that people for understanding help us see things the way they're supposed to be seen. they're, they're, They're on a rebuild and usually they're organizational in nature. So these are the five different gifts. And each one of us are gifted with a dominant one and probably something second that's very close. And so what makes us diverse 
is the matrix of how we're gifted. And again, this isn't, this isn't outward. This isn't talents. This isn't passions. See, our organization as a church needs all five. And each different team needs all five. Our worship team needs all five. Our children's team needs all five. Our youth team needs all five. The team back there needs all five. Admin needs all five. Every team needs all five in order to function healthily. And so we are gifted in order to rescue and rebuild ourselves. See, we are now Christ's body. And it is through us and through the gifts that he has given us that we now do his work of rescuing and rebuilding. But it's not only that. Ephesians 4.12 Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. We not only go out to rescue and rebuild, but we go out, we go out and we train people to rescue and rebuild. We equip people to rescue and rebuild. We take people to driving school. If we're apostles, we train people in apostleship. If we're prophets, we train them. If they're pastors, we train them. If they're evangelists, we train them. If they're teachers, we train them. And see what ends up happening when we separate the two classes and say, look, it's the people that we pay that equip. It's separating two classes. When we do that, I can't equip. I'm not called. I'm not trained enough. I haven't gone to enough seminary. I don't have enough experience. But when we look at things properly and see that it's one calling and one body, not two, it changes things. It's not about knowing enough. It's not about going to enough seminary. It's not about being called. It's not about any of that and having enough experience. It's not about any of that. No matter what's in our cup, we empty our cup. No matter what's there, no matter how much is there, we empty our cup into somebody else. I might not know much, but I'm an apostle. I'll do everything I can to empty out what I know into somebody else. I might not know much, but I'm a teacher. And I'm going to do whatever I can to empty out my teaching cup into somebody else. I might not know much, but I'm a pastor. And I'm going to, I'm going to empty out my pastor cup, my caring pup, cup into other people to train them up and equip them. I might not know much, but I'm a, I'm a prophet. And I'm going to empty out that cup. I might not know much, but I'm an evangelist. And I'm going to empty out that cup into somebody else. See, we're not just to go out and do the work of the ministry, but we're supposed to go out and equip people to do the work of the ministry. And all of us are supposed to do that. We're supposed to empty out our cup into somebody else and teach them. But my cup's not very full. Well, your responsibility isn't to fill your cup. Your responsibility is to empty your cup out. And it's quite amazing that after you empty it out and pull it back up, how full it actually is.
So the good news is that we all have gifts. The good news is is that He's gifted us to rescue and rebuild. Each one of us. doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are. The good news is is that He's given us these gifts to be able to equip and train others for ministry. Help equip and train others to rescue and rebuild. That's the good news. So let me ask you, how has He gifted you? You're an apostle? You're a prophet? An evangelist? Pastor? A teacher? How has He gifted you? And what does He want to do through that gift? As the band comes up in place, why don't you consider those two questions? How has He gifted you? And what does He want to do in your life because of the gift He's given you? Let's pray. And Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I pray that you will continue to, to move and show us, continue to, to uh, see how you've gifted every one of us. I pray, Lord, that you will um, reveal this to people that um, has never considered this before. I just pray, Lord, that you will use us and strengthen us and see you work in power because of, the, uh, of, of aligning with the gifts that you've given us. We just thank you. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us. And if you need to pray with somebody, Shelly is back there. You can come see me and talk with me and I'll, I'll pray with you. And if somebody else, feel comfortable with somebody else, go, go grab them. Because we're all saints. If we're believers, we're saints. And all of us can pray with you and for you. But otherwise, do business with God. How has He gifted you? And how does He want you to use that?